welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I am your host, author Liz Tolsma. It's so good to have you along for this episode. Before we go ahead and get started with today's terrific guest, let me remind you that you can follow Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform. That way you won't miss out on any of the guests like we have today or any of the topics that we talk about. Please also follow us on social media. You can find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As I said before, we have a great guest with us today. I have had the pleasure of working with her on a couple of different novella collections over the years, but I have never met her in person, so this chat is wonderful to have with her. She is the author of 38, yes, you heard that right, 38 novels. They're all romances. She's going to tell you a little bit more about them when she comes on. But she got her start actually working in IT for many, many years, even though she dreamed of teaching French on the college level. That's what she sort of fell into and kept at it. But then she also started to write and turned her love of words into some really terrific romances that I know many of you have enjoyed. And if you haven't picked up this author's books, you really must. You have to read her lovely, lovely stories. Please help me in welcoming to the show today, author Amanda Cabot. Welcome, Amanda. Well, I'm delighted to be here with you. It is our pleasure We have worked together on a couple of novella collections, but this is really the first time that we've ever chatted, so this is a true pleasure for me. It's also a pleasure for me. I'm so delighted that you invited me to be part of your podcast. I'm very excited about your new book, but before we get into that, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, that's really boring. Uh, Okay. I am an author. I have always wanted to be a writer since I was about seven years old. I achieved my goal of selling my first book before my 30th birthday. And no, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. (laughs) The book that we're currently talking about, Dreams Rekindled, is my 38th published novel. In addition to that, I've been in a number of novella collections and I've written four nonfiction books, which will absolutely, positively cure insomnia. (laughs) And what were those nonfiction books about? Uh, They're in information technology books, because that's what my day job was. Wow. And 38 published novels. That is quite an achievement. No matter how long or short it took you, that is that's a lot of books, and that's a lot of writing, and that's a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. Keeps me busy and keeps me happy. That's great. Always important. Do you find after so many novels and novellas that it's difficult to come up with new ideas, something fresh and different that you haven't already written? Um, no, it's not as hard as, as I might have thought it was. 
Not to say that any book is easy. I mean, I agonize over every single book, but I'm finding there are so many different personalities in the world. There's so many different problems that people face that there's always something new to write about. And the fact that my books, uh, all of my books for Ravel are done as trilogies, each being set in a different town in the Texas Hill Country, means that I get to invent a whole new town and then people it with a lot of interesting characters. Some are good, some are not so good. And you mentioned the Texas Hill Country. Is that the area that you live in? No, actually, I have never lived in the Texas Hill Country. My early childhood was spent in a small town in Texas, but not in the Hill Country. And I've lived a number of different places. But every time I would go back to Texas and go to the Hill Country, it just really spoke to me. It's a particularly beautiful part of the state. And of course, in the spring, when the wildflowers are blooming and you have these fields of blue bonnets, oh, there's just nothing like that. So I've heard. I actually was just to the Texas Hill Country myself for the very first time on Tuesday. I had never been there before. I'd heard so much about it. And you are right. It is just stunning in its beauty. The blue bonnets were not out yet, or maybe I missed them. I don't know which, but I was disappointed about that. But I did. I fell in love with the area and I can see why it speaks to you. I think you er- you were too early for the blue bonnets. I'm pretty sure that they're like towards the end of March and then pretty much through April. Okay, I'll have to go back a little later next time then. You will. Now you've got an excuse for another trip. True, very true. So why don't you tell us about your latest release, which, as you said, is Dreams Rekindled. What is the story about? Dreams Rekindled is the second of the Mesquite Springs trilogy, and its heroine is Dorothy, whom people met, readers met her in the first book, which was Out of the Embers. The short version of this story, or my short explanation, is can two people, each prisoners of their past, find love and healing in a town where danger lurks? Ooh, So there's a little bit of suspense then in the book. There is. What happens is Dorothy has always wanted to be a writer. Does this sound familiar, Liz? Yes, Um, it does. (laughs) But her favorite author is Harriet Beecher Stowe. She recognizes that Harriet Beecher Stowe changed the world with her books, with her book, very singular. But think about this. It's 1856. We're in Texas, which is a slave-owning state. Uncle Tom's Cabin wasn't exactly a popular book. In fact, it was banned. However, Dorothy had gotten a copy of it, and she saw how one woman could change the world, and that's what she wanted to do. But she had a problem. She couldn't come up with any ideas that were similar or as important as the ones that Harriet Beecher Stowe raised. So what is she going to do? Enter our hero. Brandon is a newspaper editor. 
He's left his last town, well, I've pretty much gotten forced out of there because of Harriet Beecher Stowe's famous book. Now, he wasn't advocating that the people in his former town like the book or support the issues. He simply wanted them to read the book and understand how people in the North felt about slavery. Well, there were some pretty dire consequences as a result of that. So he left his old town. He came to the hill country, to Mesquite Springs, to start a new life. And the one thing that he was sure of, the one decision he had made was he was never again going to write an editorial or do anything controversial. Well, you can guess it doesn't quite work out the way he has planned. But he and Dorothy start working together. Dorothy starts writing articles for the newspaper. And then we have a problem. We've got some people who don't want this newspaper. They don't want an editor in the town and will do anything to stop him. So we definitely have dissension in the town. Wow. Very interesting premise, sort of basing it around Harriet Beecher Stowe's favorite book. That does make it different and make it stand out. Well, when you think about it, I mean, it is arguably, Uncle Tom's Cabin is arguably the most influential book of the 19th century. And so it, it's bound to have an effect on people, good and bad. Now, you mentioned that this is the second in a series. Do they need to be read in any order? Do we have to read the first one in order to be able to read the second one? No, you don't have to read them in order. One of my pet peeves are books in series where you have to read them in order, or I always say you feel like you've gone to a party and everybody's there and they know each other and you don't, and you're the stranger. So I don't do that to my readers. I write each book as a standalone. Now, you will appreciate Dorothy more if you've read the first book in the series, but there is no reason why you have to read Out of the Embers first. Good to know. Your heroine says, Dorothy says, words have more power when they're printed than when they're spoken. Why do you think that's true? Well, part of it is the legitimacy of seeing words in print. When you think about the 19th century, and this was one of the things that I found fascinating when I did my research for this book, when you think about what people had to read, in small towns, there were only two things that people had to read. One was the Bible, and the second was the newspaper. So that makes the newspapers really important as a source of information, as a source of entertainment. Newspapers had, in addition to the actual news, they had recipes, they had the social column, which said who was doing what, who's having a party, who had a baby, who's getting married. And all of that was important for people as a source of knowing, well, a source of understanding the community. The other reason why I think that written words have more power is that you can go back to them and reread them. And there's no misunderstanding. When you hear something, certain words will 
stick in your brain and you'll think, well, I heard this, but did you hear exactly what you remember? Whereas when it's in writing, there's no question. The words are there. Very true. It's a good way. I prefer to write things to people instead of speaking them to them because then I can do my writerly thing and agonize over each word and make sure it's just the right word. Whereas when you speak, you might speak the wrong words, you know? I am laughing at your comment about agonizing over each word because that's what I do. Anyone who thinks that writing is easy hasn't done it. Right. (laughs) I agree. Because we do. We spend way too much time on single words and trying to find just the perfect word. And yet you can't do any less because, I mean, that's what we as writers do. And in part, I think that's something we owe our readers. We owe them the precision of of our having chosen the right word, of having put together sentences that will touch their hearts, that will make them think. I mean, that's the power that we as writers have. Very true. So are you like me in that from a very young age, you loved words and loved learning new words and what they meant and using them? Oh, the dictionary is my favorite friend. (laughs) Yeah, I actually started teaching myself to read when I was well before school age. And my parents saw that and said, hmm, I mean, because they were avid readers. And I would pick up one of their books and point to a word and say, what is that? At which point they realized it was time to teach me to read. And fortunately, although my father wasn't teaching at that time, he had been a teacher before. So he had the training to to teach me to read, and they did. And I've loved words ever since. You write romances. Why do you write what you do? And you also... Second part of this question, you write a mix of historical and contemporary. So why do you do that as well? Well, I write romances because I have always been a fan of happy ever after. Those are the stories that have resonated with me from the time that I was a child. I wanted everybody to have their happily ever after. And you can do that in a romance. Now, it's not easy for my characters to get from the beginning to that happily ever after at the end. But the contract that I make with my readers is that, yes, they will have that happy ever after. As far as contemporary versus historical, the very first book that I published was a short contemporary romance. And I have done one contemporary trilogy for Ravel, but the majority of my books are historicals. And I have to say, although I enjoyed writing the Texas Crossroads trilogy, which is my contemporary one, and it got really good reviews, including a starred review from Publishers Weekly, when I went back to write historicals and the Cimarron Creek trilogy came after that, it felt like coming home. There is something about the 19th century that really appeals to me. and. It's, I have a friend who says I was born in the wrong century. Maybe she's right. But I like the 19th century. I like 
the small town communities that were what we had at that time, and just the whole lifestyle of the 19th century. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't wish I lived there. I happen to like air conditioning. I happen to like microwave ovens and (laughs) all of the modern conveniences that we have. But I really enjoy writing about people in what some would call simpler times, although they weren't necessarily simpler. Right. I think many people romanticize what it was like 150 years ago or so, but it wasn't necessarily an easy life that any of these people lived. No, it wasn't. Not at all. But one of the things that I have found interesting in writing is that I can take problems that people are having now and put them in the 19th century. Because in truth, people are the same. Whether we lived in 1856 or whether we live in 2021, we have the same fundamental problems. Yeah, the trappings are different, but you still have problems in your past that you have to deal with. You can still have emotional problems. They weren't called by the same names in the 19th century, but fundamentally, people don't change. I mean, we're all the same. Very true. You used to write for the secular market. When did you make the switch and why did you make the switch? I made the switch the year that I retired and moved from the East Coast to Cheyenne. That was the year that a very good friend of mine was in the terminal stages of leukemia. She had only a few months left to live and Although I'd known her for a long, long time, in fact, I met her when I was in college and we lived with the same family when we studied in France. We had talked about a lot of things over the years. We became really good friends. She was a bridesmaid in my wedding. But those last few months were very different. For the first time, we talked about things that were really, really important, like faith, And seeing the way her faith, her strong belief in God, was helping her get through these final months, knowing that she was never going to see her daughters marry, she was never going to hold a grandchild, which was really, really difficult for her, but she was sustained by her faith. And watching that made me realize that I wanted to write about people who had that kind of faith. And that was when I started writing for The Inspirational Market. And we are so glad that you did, because you have given The Inspirational Market many, many good stories that we have enjoyed over the years. Thank you. The title of this book, the newest one, is Dreams Rekindled. What dreams have you had come true in your life? Becoming a published author. And the second one, even more important than that, is living happily ever after with my husband. Those are wonderful dreams to have come true. And we're so glad that you had your happily ever after. That's what we all would like to have. So can you tell us what's up next? You mentioned this was a trilogy and Dreams Rekindled is only the second book. So I'm guessing there's a third one in this 
There is, and it actually has an official title now, which is The Spark of Love. You'll notice that we have sort of a fire theme going here with Out of the Embers, Dreams Rekindled, and now The Spark of Love. That one has been through the first round of editing and is scheduled to be published in March of 2022. In addition to that, I have signed a contract for another trilogy, which will be set, no surprise, Texas Hill Country, but in the 1880s. And that series is tentatively called the Sweetwater Crossing Trilogy. The first of those books will be coming out in March of 2023. And then we're going to publish them more frequently than once a year. I think the second one is scheduled for October of that year. And the third, if I recall correctly, will be July of the next year. So I'm going to be busy writing for a while. It sounds like it. Well, that's good for us as readers to know that we have more to look forward to from you. You're going to make us wait for book three in this trilogy, but we're glad that it's going to speed up a little bit so we don't have to be left on the edges of our seats for too long between books. Well, it just means I'm going to be really busy trying to meet that shorter schedule, but I'm excited about it. I I think it's a good move. Where can the listeners find out more information about you? My website, which is, no surprise, www.amandacabot.com. I call it my one-stop shopping because you'll find information about all of my books, including excerpts, discussion groups for if you're in a book club. It has information about me personally. There's information about for writers, prospective writers, A lot of stuff there. And do you have any last words for the listeners? Yes. I sincerely hope that every dream that our listeners have had will come true and that they too will have a happy ever after. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us. We certainly appreciated having you and We will be reading Dreams Rekindled and looking forward to The Spark of Love coming out next year. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. That was so much fun getting to chat with Amanda and finding out a little bit more about her and about her books and about her happily ever after. And that's my wish as well for all of you that you would all have your happily ever afters. That's about all the time that we have for this show. Just want to remind you that if you would like to find out more about Amanda or about her novel Dreams Rekindled or about any of her other novels, please check out the show notes. You can find them on my website, which is liztolsma.com. If the website is still under construction, when you go there to take a peek at it, then hop on over to christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com. All that same information will be there for you, and you will have some links there that you can find out more about Amanda and also purchase her book, Dreams Rekindled. Be sure to be following us on social media so that you can get involved in the discussion of some of the great books and authors that we're talking about and talking to. And also 
subscribe on your favorite platform so that you don't miss out on any of the great guests that we have coming up. For example, next week's guest, I'm just so excited. I can hardly wait to talk to her, is Grace Hitchcock. I have known Grace for quite a while. We have, again, worked on several novella collections together, and we have been in the True Colors crime series together, and she is now publishing her very first novel with Bethany House Publishers, and it looks fabulous. I haven't picked it up yet to read it, but I will before she comes onto the show. It just sounds so amazing, you guys, and you know how wonderful an author Grace is. So that's going to be a real treat. You don't want to miss out on it. Please join me next time as we talk with Grace Hitchcock. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode. Thank you once again to Amanda for joining us, and thank you to my listeners for supporting Christian Historical Fiction Talk and for joining me. We will see you next time. Mm -hmm.